Hey internet, I'm Simon Squibb, your host at the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help anybody out there that's thinking of starting a business do just that. Equally, if you've started a business and are struggling, maybe you need a little bit of inspiration and knowledge. And we hope by interviewing some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers that you'll get the knowledge you need to become the person you want and turn your business into that dream company. I personally have started 17 companies from scratch and have invested in over 65 startups. When I sat down and analyzed how I did it, I discovered a secret. It was all luck. I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, without luck, it ain't gonna work. Each week, I will discuss with my guests this theory and see if luck is a skill as I feel it is. I hope you enjoy our episode this week. Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My guest today is entrepreneur Fritz Dimopoulos, founder of Queen's Road Capital. Fritz, welcome to the show. Hey, Simon. It's great to be here. And, you know, I just want to first say, you know, thanks for doing this for the startup community. I think all founders need ideas and advice. So thanks for doing it. Thank you for giving your time. Well, maybe you could start off by kindly telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure, yeah. I'm an American, but I've been living in the, um, the Asian region for 23, 24 years. And um, I first moved to mainland China many years ago in 1997 and um, working for a news corporation, a media company. And um, I set up a bunch of internet companies over the years. Um, I think, Simon, you said you set up, was it 17 companies or 19 companies? I forgot. Yeah, I forget um, too sometimes. It's, it's, yeah. I'm on my 18th, I guess, with the Good Luck Club. But right. yeah, 17 so 18. far. Yeah, so I did not set up 18 companies. Um, yeah, right. 18th would be good luck right now. Um, I, I, I set up a, like a lower number, but you know, I was involved in the sports business. I set up a company there, um, in the travel business in women's fashion, music, stuff like that. So I've been doing that uh, for like many years. And then the last four or five years I've been an investor, you know, seeding and mentoring, um, startups. Yeah, and you're you're so humble because what you've set up is it's good analogy. It's not about how many you set up; it's about the quality of the ones that you do set up. So, I'm always conscious that the number doesn't really matter; it catches the headline. But the quality of the companies that you've set up and invested in is just mind blowing. I'd like to get into that a little bit today. But just before we dive into that that side of your your life and career, maybe you could define for the audience what success means for you. You know, that's an amazing question. I know we talked about it a bit earlier and it's just kind of tricky, but um, I, I think uh, for me, um, like on a personal level, success means having some life balance. You know, I, I love spending time with my family. I, I, have a lot, I have a lot of personal goals as well as business goals. And so success is having a balanced level of achievement. Um, and then um, on um, a startup level, you know, success really means, you know, really creating genuine value, you know, not, not being a rent seeker, not being a short term opportunist, but, you know, creating genuine value for my stakeholders, which includes employees, customers, and of course, my investors, you know, that's how, kind of how like I think about success. It's good to interestingly split the two up, the business metric and, and your personal metric I also think for, for my audience sake I like the point about um, life balance I think this comes up a lot in conversations when it when it comes to being an entrepreneur how do you achieve that well it's, it's really funny um, my first startup I didn't <laughs> mm. um, 
when I think about it, I was all in for two years um, and it was an amazing roller coaster ride. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to do that for your first startup. But then after two years, it was, it was so funny. You, you, you and I were bantering earlier about playing golf and all that sort of stuff in, in Hong Kong. And um, it, it's, it's, I, I, I just have this funny story about there was a very good friend of mine and he didn't do a startup and he started picking up golf and like I wanted to pick up golf and then he became an amazing golfer after two years and sure I like I had the startup success and then I kind of felt a little bit like oh you know there's a little bit more to life you know yes I'm, I'm, I'm happy I had that success with my first company but at the same time you know I felt like I need some balance and, and, and some other things and then fast forward some of my other startups and then I, I always made a point of going on holiday with my wife or family I mean like no matter what even if it meant like at four in the morning, taking a call while I was in Italy, you know, at some farmhouse um, uh, to negotiate a term sheet, it was like, yes, I'm going to go on holiday. And so somehow you just have to be mindful of it, I think. And, um, and I, I think I was very lucky to, to recognize early on that uh, I think I was missing something, you know, when you run really hard and really fast for a couple of years and yes, you have something, you know, possibly financially to show for it. But then I realized maybe that maybe there's some other things. And so I, I think it's just being aware of it and mindful of it. Do you think it's inevitable when you're first startup that you're, you're going to just think working hard is going to make you lucky? You know, you got to commit uh, to being successful and that commitment is going to mean sacrificing a lot. Um, now I didn't say I went on vacation six weeks out of the year, like, you know, like a typical, uh, you know, like European or Frenchman, right. Um, I went one week out of the year. Right. Um, and so, yes, we have to give up some things. And, and so I think you got to be committed, um, completely. Um, but frankly, I think you're a better entrepreneur if you can also maybe take a step back, um, every now and then and think about things and, you know, focus on yourself a little bit. I'd love to pass that knowledge to the next generation of entrepreneurs because I think I, I, I mean I it sounds like you managed to figure this out after your first startup I think it took me 15 years of, you know I left school at 15 <laughs> work, I think I was I was in my 30s before I said to myself you know what I've got to have a holiday and, I, and at that time I was in China and you read about some of the Chinese entrepreneurs and their big boast is I've never had a holiday in 30 years and then you look at the American stats where people entrepreneurs they don't even have a week off I mean, even the holiday entitlement is, you know, for an employee is not even a week, right? Yeah, and, and, and frankly, if, 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 if you commit to having a holiday, spending a week off, you actually manage your business a little bit differently. It, it means you have to hire some exceptional people because they have to take your spot. It means creating systems, having a reporting structure. You actually become a better leader because of that. And so you, know, you can imagine, you know, the entrepreneur that can do everything in the business, well, maybe that's not such a good idea. Um, and in, in, in some ways, having that commitment to your personal self a little bit, I think, leads you to be a better um, entrepreneur on the business side. I think we could have a whole podcast show just on this concept because I start thinking about people like Elon Musk, who, who, who of course, is a brilliant entrepreneur. But equally, his whole mantra every time you ever see him talk is about, you know, working hard and getting your head down. And he's 
well known for like telling one of his uh, close colleagues not to go and be there for his uh, wife's baby being born because they're doing something more meaningful and getting people on Mars. So really going to watch another human born is that important and telling him not to do that. that that's really hard, I think, for a lot of people out there to understand where the line is drawn, right? And when you look at people like Elon Musk who work so hard, where is that line? So it's great to hear your insight like that, Fritz. Thanks, thanks for sharing. But yeah, but we could probably go on just about that subject forever. I, I'm, right, interested, right. I'm, I'm interested in, in, in um, whether or not you think entrepreneurs are born or bred. Yeah, that nature versus nurture question, right? I mean, I deep down think anybody can be an entrepreneur. Um, so you're bred for sure. Um, it might be someone's born and maybe in their DNA they have certain certain skills and capabilities, maybe a, maybe a greater willingness to take some risk possibly, maybe. But, um, but, but to me, that's marginal. I mean, at, at, at the end of the day, as we talked about a bit, being super committed, having a willingness to take risk, being strategic, all these, I think, are completely bred. And, um, and you know, it's, 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 it's something we're aware of and something we focus on. And, and, and think about this, you know, like we look at, um, you know, Stephen Jobs and some of these amazing entrepreneurs. And then, and then, then we look at what the, the myth of an entrepreneur is. I, I, I guess today it's kind of like uh, Tony Stark, I guess, is one. You know, everyone says you have to be like Tony Stark, right? Or you have to be this loudmouth cowboy who's super gregarious and has to be at the center of attention. But what we really find is, you know, except for maybe Jack Ma, who likes to be, you know, the center of attention and maybe Musk, you know, you know, most of these entrepreneurs, they're, they're kind of, um, they're kind of on the fringes on the side a little bit. <laughs> and they're just, and, and, and they're actually quite bored with whatever situation they're in, except when they're focused on their business. And, you know, I, I think sometimes there's just stereotypes on what the behavior of, of entrepreneurs should be versus maybe what the reality is. And, 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 and I think we have to get over that. And some people mistakenly say, well, of course, you're, you're, you know, you're a born leader, you're a born entrepreneur, you know, like we hear that a lot, right? Um, and, 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 and to me, it's kind of comical because I, because, because I faced it a lot. Like I'm running on, you know, I'm, I'm trying to you know, get a business off the ground and someone says, well, you know, Fritz, the first thing everyone tells you, of course, is, you know, I think you're a nice guy. And anytime someone tells you that you're a nice guy, it means they think you're useless and that you don't have any capability. You know, that's what they're really saying because what they're doing is they're drawing certain conclusions on how you behave, right? Maybe being a bit introverted, a bit quiet, just sucking in all the information and, 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 and really not realizing that, you know, behind that exterior may be drive, ambition, willingness to take risk and some of these other factors that clearly are much more important, uh, um, um, indicator of success. I could not agree more. I think there's so many ridiculous misconceptions about what an entrepreneur looks like. And, and I think that, I, I guess it's because the entrepreneurs that we know are out there um, and the ones that we don't, we don't therefore associate as entrepreneurs. I mean, I think about the Google founders, for example, they're not everywhere, but clearly they've been pretty successful. Um, I guess right. there's, there's always, I mean, Steve Jobs had Wasnick, right? There was always someone else that perhaps wasn't the typical image of an entrepreneur. And I think that's one of the reasons I, 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 I'm doing this podcast, actually. I want people out there to realize that they might well be an entrepreneur. They might have been told that they're not. They may have been sold that they're not, but actually they are, to your point. Yeah, in, in fact, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, you said that people are told that they're not. And, you know, we get these negative messages all the time, right? 
you're a nice guy. Or sometimes they say, you know, that's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. When someone tells you that's an interesting idea, what they really mean is that's kind of a stupid idea, right? Or someone tells you, um, you know what? You're lucky. I mean, how many times? Yeah, yeah. Sure, luck plays a big part in, in everything, but you know what? It isn't just luck, right? We have to recognize all these other factors. I mean, there's so many messages that we get. You know, when you want to move a mountain, when you want to, you know, aspire for greatness, there are so many messages. I mean, it seems like everyone in the world is trying to hold you back, except for very few people. <laughs> um, and you know, we always remember those few people because I'm sure. You, you, you probably have a list of those five or six conversations you had over 30 years of those people were like, I totally love what you're doing. This is utterly amazing. Most people are like, you sure you about that? <laughs> That's true. I think, I think it leads yeah. back to the question. I think this is the bread part that isn't, it's not just what your parents say. It's also the ecosystem that you're, you're in and people's attitudes towards you. I think that can lead you to or you better get a you know better be safe and get a university degree and then then you can talk about this kind of crazy microsoft thing you've got just drop out of harvard it's mental don't do that you know like that whole perception that people have it's fascinating i think that stunts people's breeding as far as entrepreneurs are concerned right so so i want to talk about how you broke through because i I was looking at your cv and again i want the audience to i'm going to put all the links at the bottom what you've actually done is mind-blowing but i wanted to talk a little bit about this moment where you went from news court which by the way in you know 1998 1999 was a was a company to work for i mean they were ruling the world so you you know there you are um, working for those guys and and then there's this moment in april 1999 where you're like Right, I'm going to do my own business. To, to talk the audience through what happened and what you did. Well, it was, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, I mean, News Corporation is a family business. <laughs> and I, I certainly admire Mr. Murdoch immensely. And, 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 and he, he, he's definitely been like a role model for me. Um, but, but I also realized, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to be a good employee. <laughs> In fact, I, I've never been a good employee. No matter how hard I tried. I was always a bad employee. <laughs> and, and of course I came to that realization as well in China. Um, and then I, I just started thinking, and this is, you know, the internet was starting to take off and, and, you know, sometimes we cannot pick where we set up a company and when we do it. You know, and I, I, th- I think possibly one of the signs of an entrepreneur is you have to kind of be open to timing and location and, and maybe category. And so, I knew something about the media business. I was in China. Yes, I was a, yes, I'm a foreigner. <laughs> um, and, and somehow, um, you know, I, I remember Mr. Murdoch, you know, who, you know, only made a couple of comments, you know, to me because, you know, I was just a little ant in, in kind of the empire. And, you know, he, and he once mentioned that um, he makes a lot of money in the sports business. And that kind of inspired me. Well, let's see. If we're a traditional company and we make all this money in sports, how hard is it to do it online in this emerging platform? Um, and, and, and so really that was you know, kind, of, kind of the inspiration that I had for setting up my first company called Shawei, which means Brave Shark and Mandarin Chinese, which was a digital sports you know, content company. And, it, and so it, it really was taking that reference from, you know, what, you know, where did News Corp make a lot of money and could we apply that online? Um, and since I was in China, I was going to do it in China. So what, what happened? So you, you, you said, right, I'm going to start this business. Did you get investors? What were the mistakes and what were the um, things that people can learn from from that moment? What, what, 
Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's kind of interesting because um, I, I had recognized, and, and, and maybe I read an article somewhere that says you better make sure you have some money. And since I didn't have any money, I mean, it, basically all the money I made in like the prior few years, I just sunk it into the business. Um, and it's and one of the things that I knew I had to do was um, hit the ground running. And so even before I set up the company, I had already lined up a team of five amazing people, including a couple of co-founders. And so we were, so I, so I figured once the clock starts ticking is when your bank account starts like emptying out. And so sort of, so I wanted to hit the ground running. And so we had many, many meetings and conversations. And then, and although I didn't know it at the time, by having those meetings and conversations with this core team of um, seven of us, including me would be eight, was we started learning about each other's capabilities. We started bonding as a team. And so we were this very coherent force right on day one. Um, and that was um, super important for us. Um, um, now, of, of course, we made a lot of silly mistakes. You know, I mean, you know, I did make some, you know, it's, 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 it's I, I feel like all my mistakes are always around people and they're always around um, hiring the wrong person. Either I was enamored by someone's background or profile um, or maybe, or maybe there wasn't a cultural fit or something like that. And, sh- and sure enough, you know, we hired a, a couple of, who I, who I thought were amazing people and they still are in kind of their own right, but within our company, it, it really didn't work out. And, you know, that almost sank the business to be honest. Um, but when we let them go, and again, we're talking about your, your head of marketing, your chief marketing officer and your head of editorial. And this is, this is a content business. So your head of editorial is important. Um, when we let both of them go and then we, we actually, um, uh, recruited from within and kind of promoted, um, a couple of their underlings, it's just this heavy burden on the company somehow lifted and everyone was much more creative and excited. And, um, and it, it was just a great, um, it, it really added to the momentum of the business. But in those early days, we did make those, you know, a couple of you know mistakes in hiring and that, you know, almost hurt the business badly. And of course, like a typical, you know, entrepreneur, I, I, I probably didn't have enough money in the bank. And, you know, of course we almost ran out of money a couple of times and, and, you know, thank God I had a couple of good friends and they're all my best friends today because they, <laughs> they're the ones who saved the business when, uh, uh, when I couldn't make payroll. Well, we all need friends, but I think the insight you're sharing there is very deep and meaningful. I want people to pick up on it and they're listening. I think, you know, it's inevitable, I think, that you're going to hire wrong people. I just, I, I mean, I don't think, I think you've always got to believe in, in the people in the beginning and then it might not even be their fault right sometimes it's just a cultural thing or an ability because we oversell everyone oversells themselves sometimes certainly for a job right sometimes when they get into the role it's it's overwhelming for them and it might have been a relief for them as well they're like wow i don't want to work in a startup this is too scary or i want to i want to work at news corp right. again right. So, so it's not for everyone right but i think i think the message i'd like people to pick up on my, my interpretation is that you know don't be scared to hire the wrong people i think you've just got to be brave enough to cut them if they're not right do you think that's fair to say? Right, and cut them sooner than, rather than later. Right, right. yeah, and, and and that's the hardest thing, I think. Actually, um, I think I, I I personally, my whole career, and I don't, I'm sure anyone with a conscience ever, you know, letting anyone go or cutting, it's just the that's the hardest thing. Actually, hiring is really easy. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and, and and kind of one of the reasons why it's super difficult is because we've asked someone to believe in our vision. Mm. We've actually asked someone to quit their job at a prestigious company to join us. Mm even take a salary cut mm. and said, so, you know, we really want, this is going to be amazing. And so we've asked them to believe in us mm. and then it starts not working out. 
It's like, uh-oh, what do we do? Well, yeah. we, we, we have to give them a second chance because look what they've done for us. They actually believed in our vision. They've actually sacrificed something. Yeah. But do we give them a third chance or a fourth chance? So where's <laughs> you know, that line? Where's that line? Yeah. I think that's, a, that's yeah. very tricky, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, you know, and, you know, like we have to be, and this is something like I disagree with Jack Welch on, um, you know, the, you know, the former CEO of um, General Electric, like he talks about how, well, if, if it isn't working out, even your best friend, you have to let this person go right away. And I'm kind of like, really? Because this person has just made some sacrifice for you. And there's that, you know, there's this intrinsic trade-off we have. It, the, 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 there is an exchange. It's, it's an exchange of commitment and vision. You know, I'm, I'm trying to sell you vision and you're trying to, um, you know, uh, uh, provide me commitment. And it, it's very hard for me to, you know, if someone has shown that loyalty and that commitment, it, it's very hard to pull the trigger and ask them to leave. And of course we have to do it. Um, and it really is that fine line and, and it becomes really tricky. And, and you know, I, I, I think it would be a huge mistake for your listeners to do what Jack Welch does and just fire anyone. You know, like I, I think they used to call him um, Neutron Jack we're going to fire anyone. We don't care. Right. It's, it, it's, it, it's much more complicated than that. You know, we, we, we have to recognize that, that some people have provided us something that is amazing and we have to somehow, I'm, I'm, I mean, luckily by giving face and some of the other tricks in China, maybe we can overcome that. Right. Mm. You know, or, or, or sometimes you have to pay them out or, or allow them to keep some of their options. I mean, it, but it, but, but it is tricky and, um, you know, something that it isn't as simple as it seems, right? I agree. I mean, this is one of the problems I have with generally any one single person giving advice to anybody else, including myself. You know, you have an opinion on something and then people take it to heart and apply it. Um, but I think you've got to go back. And that's why I like doing this podcast again, because I like to have other people's opinions, not just my own. So hearing your point there, I, I resonate with this very much. So I think there is a there is an element of people will hear like I kind of just said, just, you know, you've got to let people go, but you're right. There's so much more to it. And I have personally had experience where the person I've got in a certain role doesn't work. I could just cut them. That would actually probably be in a way easier, but you found somewhere else for them to fit within the organization or found something else for them to do or discovered they want to do their own business and you help them do it. Right. You know, there's, there's, there's other ways to go about it to your point, And I think that's true. Um, and I think this is you know, another misunderstanding. You're, that, you're being a nice guy there. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of people take business as this cutthroat, don't take it personally, frankly, bullshit. And actually, I think you should take it personally, right? Like you just said, people have committed to you. Um, well, you should right, at least you know. make the effort to you know, fix it with them. If you can, not always possible. Right, it isn't always possible. And, 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 and sometimes we have to accept the fact it's going to be difficult. But reputation does matter. Um, interpersonal relationships do matter. Life is about that too, totally. and it isn't just about. If if it was just about the money, I guess start selling insurance or something like that. Yeah. I guess. I'm sure at some point you've been in a business that has selling insurance. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> just looking at your CV, I think you must have been involved in everything at one point. But tell us about what happened uh, next. So, so um, from what I read, you 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 sold that business, and then you you dabbled back in um, working for someone else. Is that right? Yeah, it is interesting. Um, then the internet. So, so, so we sold the company and then the internet bubble blew up <laughs> and like, I thought I was a genius, right? Because I was one of the few guys who actually sold this business. Tom.com bought um, it, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Tom.com. There was such a hot um, name back at, for, for a lot of my audience are quite young. They won't even know these names, even if they're hearing this in, in Asia, but uh, Tom was right, a right. hot company. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, on, on, on the back of Mr. Lee, uh, you know, Lee Kai-shing's reputation and all that. Um, and so we, so we sold it to them. Um, 
and then I was thinking on what to do. And it, it was interesting. This is where maybe those, um, you know, those interpersonal relationships are valuable. Like I got a call from News Corp again and, and, and they told me, you know what, we invested in this company, this game company that's doing okay, but you know, they really need some help. Maybe you should check it out. And I'm like, really, you gotta be kidding. Right. You know, cause the, the internet bubble had blown up. Everyone was looking for like a traditional industry to join again. Um, and I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, and then I got a call from SoftBank, and SoftBank was one of my first investors, actually. And SoftBank said, hey, you know what? I really encourage you to check out this company. <laughs> and so even back then, the SoftBank guys were active, and you know, they had seen that NetEase, it, it was, it was NetEase was, had the potential, and the company was trading below its you know, cash in the bank, and it had all sorts of investigations. And so the, the, the company wasn't doing well at, at, at that time. Um, and, so I, and so I listened to their advice and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to visit the company. And so, and so, and so I go to the company, walk through the halls and I said, how can this company be in trouble? Every meeting room was filled. There was this chatter going on. Paper was everywhere. People are on the whiteboard. I'm like, this company's not in trouble. Something's going on in this company and it looks amazing. And so based on that, um, you know, I, uh, joined the company, although knowing full well that I wasn't a good employee and, um, and then the company, and it, it was like perfect timing. You know, that's where luck really plays a role. It's just like you happen to join a company right when it, it was recovering from a certain malaise and it just took off like a rocket. And, you know, today it's this multi-billion dollar amazing company. Um, and so I, I, was, I, was, I was lucky to be a part of, you know, you could say stage one of that liftoff. Um, and... Um, it was, it was pretty interesting, but you know, you know, that didn't last long because, you know, obviously cause I'm, cause I'm not a good employee. Um, and you know, and then, and like William Ding, the founder, I've, I've never mentioned this to anybody, but you know, like William really didn't think much of me. He probably thought I was just a lucky, he thought I was a lucky foreigner. And so, so I kind of felt like, you know what, I'm going to have to set up another business. And of course I, I wanted to, but you know, but, but sometimes our motivations are varied and complex and maybe one of the uh, you know motivations was I wanted to show people that it, I, I wasn't just you know like a one-time lucky foreigner, but but, but there's something I could do more. Um, and so and, and, and so I got my old team together actually you know the guys from the sports business and we started thinking about you know what's the next project we're going to do, and it ended up being this travel business. So just for the audience, I mean NetEase uh, is one of the China's largest internet portals and largest operator of online multiple multiplayer games and so you were there for a year and seven months which I think for someone that recognizes they're not a good employee is pretty amazing it's still a long time uh, to work at a speed you're probably working at to to help that business do well but then so then you it's interesting again you then you go back to your old crew which I think for entrepreneurs listening out there that seems to be a formula that people seem to follow I'm, I'm also the same I'm always trying to convince my past partners to do something new and so you you, you got them all in a room and you said right uh, we've got this new idea. Is it, and, then, and then what was the idea for my audience to hear? What did you do next? Yeah, so we were sitting at a Starbucks at the Airport Express in Hong Kong. <laughs> and we're thinking, what can we do? And, you know, similar to, you know, when Mr. Murdoch said, we make money in sports, we had another question. Where does Google make its money? This is, <laughs> this is mid-2004. And we looked, well, Google makes a lot of money from, you know, real estate advertising. They make a lot of money from automotive advertising. And they make a lot of money from the travel business. So we thought, you know what, can we create a better mousetrap than Google just for the travel business, which was really, that was how we came up with the idea. And then, so we committed to doing that. 
Um, and then, and then we almost immediately hired our first employee. And, and the funny thing in the world is when you have an employee, you said, well, I, I guess I have to do this now. I just hired somebody. And, um, and then we started building that business and we became, and, and luckily, you know, again, we had the benefit of some timing and, you know, and, and of course we were very focused and diligent and we built an amazing business, which, you know, rivaled C-Trip as, uh, you know, one of China's largest, you know, travel platforms. Yeah, I want my audience to understand the, the scale of what you actually built there. I mean, this company, again, you're so humble. I can see why you get labeled as a nice guy because you, you're, you're humble. So I'm going to do it for you. It was uh, the largest travel internet portal in China, um, backed by some of the most amazing investors. And, and Buda, um, Baidu, I always get their name wrong, Baidu acquired a majority stake in the business in 2011. And now it's listed on the NASDAQ, right? Yeah, so we did list on the Nasdaq in 2013, but um, our biggest competitor, we, we actually merged with C-Trip. Right. And so we're, I think technically there still may be a listing vehicle, but it, it's pretty much uh, um, under the larger C-Trip umbrella. And, and C-Trip is now the largest internet traveling right. internet portal in China, but no, without your business they perhaps wouldn't have been and they weren't until until you know when you started out you were and i think that's a pretty big achievement but so, so when you built that business I, I, by the way i just want to go back one way audience to also pick up on something you said um just a moment ago which i think is is, is gold is that you hired someone and made the business real and i have exactly the same experience and i think for a lot of people sometimes when you're just doing a business on your own it can feel like it's not a real thing it's like a hobby but it's interesting right, when, right. When, when you hire someone how suddenly you've got that responsibility that payroll frankly <laughs> got to keep them busy right so exactly I, I, I actually want the audience to pick up anyone out there that's thinking of starting a business and i know a lot of my audience listens to this to, to you know, figure out whether they should start a business is you know hire someone <laughs> that can be a big motivator if the purpose of the business is good i mean that of course makes a difference if you're solving a big problem and so on and you care about that problem that all matters but but i think once you've hired someone it becomes a company because you have to have a registered business to pay them on and there's all you know the structure just falls into place and i think that's a really interesting first brave step to take that can convert you into believing it's real so really good point Fritz there. so you hired your first employee just for the audience interest how did you manage to build it into the largest travel internet portal in china what what were the basic steps involved well the good thing is uh, we were not the first player in the market you know c-trip our biggest competitor started six years before us but we had a different business model and and, and, and it's true like a dis a, a different model a different approach can disrupt an, a, an existing category. And we were focused on something broadly speaking called price comparisons, which meant, Hey, you know, there's a lot of offers out there for consumers, but maybe it's better to be a marketplace where we help consumers understand everything that's available. Now that flies in comparison to what the incumbent players were doing of, they were thinking, Hey, you know what? we can help hotels and airlines sell stuff to consumers. You know, we're going to help airlines sell stuff to consumers. And we were like, well, we're going to take the opposite approach. We're going to help consumers figure out what to buy. And so, so we took a slightly different approach, which was in, 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 so we really built a search engine similar, you know, to Google where we were aggregating information um, just like, and by the way, that's what Alibaba does. <laughs> you know, they just aggregate information and then, um, and then, you know, that resonated with consumers because obviously consumers want choice. And as the Chinese economy became much more sophisticated and travel became much more sophisticated, um, 
consumers really needed some sort of engine so that they can understand what were all the available offers to them. And so they really loved it. And we had consumers that would, you know, send us emails and say, you know, you just, you know, saved me 5,000 RMB, like on a ticket to Europe. It was like people kept talking about it. And, and, it, and this, was the, this was genuine value that we provided consumers. Um, now, no, no, what's interesting is the first few years, I mean, it kind of sucked, you know, I'll be honest, because we didn't have much traction, right? Um, in fact, we had to self-fund the business for almost two years because nobody believed in it because people said, well, travel's done. You got this guy C trip. You got a couple other players in the market. Travel's already done. Why not instead you do a social network, which is another thing, by the way, you're going to get a, a lot of people will will, will, will will tell you, you should do X, you should do Y, which is, which, which of course is totally grating. Like when you think about it, because you just spent two years focused on something and someone tells you, oh, well, why don't you do that instead? And um, super annoying. But, 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 you know, but, but, but for the first few years, it, it was very difficult but we were really building a barrier because we were investing in the technology, investing in the platform. And by the time um, some of our competitors and, and, and other players in the industry figured out that, that, that we were onto something, it was too late. We were down that learning curve. We, we, we had built this engine uh, and, and, and this platform that could genuinely in real time or near real time, aggregate tons of information for consumers. Um, and, you know, that's how we did it um, is because yeah, I, I guess if I had to summarize it, it would be uh, we were early enough that we could get traction, but not too early that we would fail. Right? Mm. Again, another pearl of wisdom there around uh, feedback from people. Um, and I think it's a very difficult balance, isn't it? Getting that people tell you change, do this between oh that's a good point maybe we should and absolutely you haven't got our idea and we need to stay the course so i think a lot of people struggle with that yeah it's true and you know and this is where you have to um i think as an entrepreneur you know because we're being bombarded with these messages you're gonna have to pass judgment on the person that's communicating that message like are they an expert have they thought about it a lot If, if if someone tells you hey you know i've you know, I've, I've been looking at your business the last two years, and I've, and in fact, I've done a side-by-side product comparison, and here's some feedback. You might be like, okay, I'm going to listen to that. But if, 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 if you happen to be at a bar visiting your parents back home, <laughs> and your high school classmate tells you, well, why don't you do that instead? I mean, are you going to really listen to that? Um, and, and, of course, and, and then there's everyone in between, right? Those are the two extreme, you know, cases. And, 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 and sometimes you just really have to think very, very carefully. Um, and in, in, in some ways, I do think it's a compliment when people don't understand like your model and, and when I, I think when a lot of people disagree with you in, in a way, it's a compliment because, because I suppose if everyone got it and then you'd be like the group buying craze, right? Where you have 5,000 startups, you know, competing for this very sliver of, you know, economic pie, um, at both the United States and in China. Right. And I mean, really everywhere in the world, right. We had tons of these companies because it, because it, because it was so obvious that a group buying platform, you know, wouldn't make sense. Right. And, and everyone got it right away. But what we were doing, people didn't get it right away because it, it wasn't quite, you know, that intuitive. Um, and, and so sometimes I think it's a compliment. I think it's the way to think about it. You know, like, you know, oh, like someone turned me down. Okay. That's a compliment. It, it, it means they don't get it. So I'm, 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 I must be onto something sophisticated and marvelous. I totally agree. I mean, the amount of people that must have said uh, to Mark Zuckerberg, that sounds like MySpace. 
Yeah, right. You do know Rupert yeah, totally. Murdoch just bought MySpace, right? You do know that they've got 600 billion users. It's done. It's done. To your point. In, 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 in fact, that's the word they say. Oh, oh isn't travel done? <laughs> isn't travel done? Isn't social networking done? Isn't whatever? I mean, that's what they say, right? It, isn't it? Isn't it done? Right? Isn't the internet done? I mean, that's what they said. I remember, right? When okay, there was Tom.com, Cena, so there's a couple of these big companies floating around. Oh, well, isn't the internet done? That's what they said in 2000. Right? That's awesome, isn't it? To be fun- to funnily enough, I, I, just yesterday, um, someone said to me, "Oh, another podcast show, really, Simon? You know, isn't that done?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's it's being done." And I, and I, and someone and that same person said to me, "I thought of doing a podcast, but it's now so many people are doing it. I'm not going to do it." And I thought to myself, "Well, there's one less you know, element of competition, then, isn't there?" You know, once it looks like everyone's done it, then no one else will do it. That's exactly the time I think to actually do it. <laughs> and you know, this is also something interesting too. When, when this person who told you that, well, I was thinking of doing a podcast. It's funny, like when you go to a hospital and you see a brain surgeon. No one goes to the surgeon and says, you know, I was thinking of being a surgeon. You know? I, mean, I mean, no one ever says that. Yeah, no, it's... it's if it's, you're a tech entrepreneur, people said, oh, I should have done that. Yeah. Oh, man, I should have set up. I, I, I should have made that commitment. <laughs> totally, yeah, I know. I, mean, I, I love it. I love it when people say, oh, isn't that done? I, I actually, like you said, but you've, you put it in a great way. If people don't understand your model, it's a compliment. I, I, I actually think that's just a brilliant way to encapsulate it. If people are like, what do, how, do you, how do you make money in podcasts anyway? I'm like, well, maybe the purpose isn't initially about making money. Maybe it's about creating value. You ever thought about that? You know? So a lot of people, that's the other thing, isn't it? When people, like, when it's about, about how to make money i mean i'm sure in your business you said you had to self-fund it so how are you making money you were self-funding it but in that commitment yeah, to that equally it proves that you believed you had something which probably led to the incredible amount of investors that you had later and support right but it took time it, 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 it certainly took time and i mean it, it took us two years to sign our first major you know client which was air china i mean can you i mean two years right um but, you know, that's the commitment you have to make. And, and it made total sense to us, by the way, which, which is something else. I mean, like, does this make sense? Is, is, is the value you're creating make sense to you? If, if, if it makes sense to you, you have to keep going for it. Um, and, and, you know, yes, it's true. Some people talk about pivot, right? You know, that dirty word, right? Oh, maybe you should pivot, meaning you should change direction and do something else. And, you know, it's true. You know, Baidu started as an enterprise business and they pivot into search, right? eBay started as something else and then they had this marketplace. So it's true in some cases, it, it, it is the right decision to pivot, you know, meaning when things are difficult or you're not making traction, maybe you should pivot, but you, but, but you should take that decision very seriously. And, and I think today, too many entrepreneurs don't take it seriously. It's like, well, well, well things are kind of difficult. It's, 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 it's been a difficult month. Okay. I'm going to pivot and do something else. It should be, was it a, a, a was it a difficult two years? And then you possibly consider maybe, uh, you know, possibly changing. And you know, for us, we we, we had a difficult time. Luckily, I did not read uh, the Lean Startup, so I didn't know I was supposed to pivot. And so so I so I basically stuck it out. And next thing, but, but it made so much sense. That was the thing. This makes so much sense. Consumers need to compare. You know, consumers need to see all the available choices they have, a, and, and and someone's got to help them do that. It just made total sense. You, you mentioned another point there. Sometimes I do think too much knowledge can be dangerous as well, right? Yeah, people, right. When people have all this information about what they should do and how they should do it, I'm talking even about my own podcast show at this point, you know, there's, there's a potential that too much information can also overload people and they're like, well, should I stick at this? Should I pivot? Should I sell it? 
<laughs> you know, it's, um, it's, it's too much information, right? That's right. You have to be sometimes slightly irrational. So now I'm going to do this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I love it. This know, is going to work. I noticed throughout that you're very focused in each of these businesses. Um, so, you you know, it, it looks like, I mean, for example, in, 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 in within the travel internet business, you could have easily done lots of other things around that, right? Like airport pickups or whatever, right? I mean, sound, but it felt like you stayed very focused on the core business. Do you think focus is important when building a business? Do you think you can do, you can multitask? I think in the early days, you got to be focused because you got to get it right. I mean, there's a few very small things you need to do super well. And then as you scale and as that platform has value and, and you have the systems and the teams, maybe you can, maybe you can bolt on some other pieces. But in, in the early days, you really have to focus completely. And for us, it was, we, we, had, a, we had one product. It, it was basically like a flight business. How can we help consumers book flights better? And we just narrowed in on that. Luckily, that was the biggest part of the market. And luckily, consumers believe flights are a commodity, and so therefore they want to compare, and, and, and choice becomes really important. Um, and then once we got that down well, um, and that was scaling, and it was, it, was, it was actually extremely profitable, then we could start adding um, um, other pieces to our vision, right, which included hotels and packages and some other things. Um, but, but, but in the early days, you really got to get that one right. You know, really right, and you know it has to be head and shoulders above what anyone else is doing, and it certainly was. I mean, you could do a side by side comparison, and frankly, there was no comparison. We were killing it. We were just killing it, and it was so obvious, and, and no one can compete with us, uh, which was the amazing thing. It was no one can compete with you, and um, and, and then you can start, you know, leveraging that position to to kind of broaden your base. Um, until you know you have something that's really sizable and and meets customer needs i i um i think the competition question again alone i think we could spend a whole podcast talking about that having no competition having competition that spurs you on it's pretty interesting and and, and i've only got you for another five minutes so i wanted to finish off your cv and then i've got a few final wrap-up questions to ask you and i definitely want you back on the show if you're if you're up for it because i think your story i'd like to go a lot deeper i think the audience would find your your insights and building each of these businesses really interesting i'd like to go deeper for another time so but um i i, I know you were at uh, you, you, you built this travel company Kunar, and, uh, for six years. You were there, and then and then what happened? You sold the business to Sea Trip. Is that or was it? What was it listed on Nasdaq? What 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 changed? Why did you then start up your business today, uh, Queens Road Capital? Um, I um, I guess I was reading that. Uh, I mean, so my co-founders. Um, and my primary co-founder, the COO, he was a COO of my first business. And it was like, I mean, is, 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 is he ever going to have the chance to be the CEO? <laughs> it's kind of how we thought about it, right? Um, and, and frankly, he took uh, the business in a slightly new direction, which created immense value also. I, 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 I mentioned the idea of bolting on pieces. He seemed to be really good at that. <laughs> Um, and, and so, and so when we built that amazing flight business, I mean, I, I, I was, I was a CEO, co-founder, COO, CTO as well, building this amazing business. Um, and then, you know, we had a relationship for many years. I mean, like I first met him when he was still in college, right. And, you know, just some, you know, young kid, but super smart. Um, and, and then we, um, you know, and then, and then, and then I thought it was a good idea that, um, 
he would, you know, take over and be the CEO and, um, you know, like I'll take a step back from the operations. And it happened to coincide with the fact of the birth of my first daughter. And, um, you know, my wife told me, oh, by the way, I'm not going to move back to Beijing. <laughs> um, she was in Hong Kong. And so I thought, okay, you know, maybe it's time to, you know, think about something else. And um, so uh, I moved to Hong Kong and, you know, set up Queens Road Capital, which is, you know, a fund and we invest in startups. I, I think that this uh, journey piece is something I'd like people to also um, get. I think a lot of people that, are, and I, a lot of my audience tell me they get stuck in their businesses as well. It's just like a job can accidentally be a job. They've built a business up they love, but they've got shareholders and they've got, and they're kind of running it and they think they're the only ones that can run it. And I think that's not true, right? And I think what you're highlighting there and the way I've taken what you said is that you stepped aside and let someone else come in. And interestingly enough, they did things in the business that did, did business a world of good. And, and actually you were able to take a step back and let someone else come in. Now, I'm sure there was a lot of uh, back and forth emotion around that, especially with a child on the way. There's all sorts of change going on anyway, right? But that's a very brave step. I've been through the same process, by the way. I had my son three years ago. I did exactly the same thing. I'm like, you know what? This isn't, I'll let someone else run it. Maybe they'll do it better than me. Maybe they'll do it worse than me. But this is you know, time to let someone else run it and, and I'll go do something else. So I completely relate to you. I, I want a lot of people to get this though in that, to understand. Was it hard for you or was it an easy decision for you? It was mixed. It, 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 it was a little bit challenging because, you know, this is your baby, right? And like you're a part of it, right? And you've hired these amazing people and, you've had great battles along the way, right? It's like you're, you know, Lord of the Rings, right? You're fighting one monster after another and it's super exciting. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, David Ogilvy wrote a book, Confessions of an Ad Man. And great within book. that, great book. he actually talks about how um, he took a step back, which was, which was interesting. It's, it's, I, I, I don't want to, you know, um, repeat the story exactly, but um, he had one of his like senior staff members who was very ambitious and like wanted to do things. And David thought, you know, of, of course, I mean, he's the founder of Ogilvy and, and Mather. And um, he thought he was the best person to pitch every important client. And he thought, I'm the best one. I can do this. And then his, you know, upstart manager, or, or you could say maybe junior partner felt, you know, um, he wanted a shot at it. And so David allowed him to pitch an important client. Um, but of course the manager said that he had to leave the room. And so David left the room, but then he kind of snuck back in and he observed and he said that that was the best pitch he had ever seen in his life. And so he learned something that, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, these other like up and coming talents can do things better than us. And, you know, he had this great story about that. And, you know, I would highly rec recommend reading that book, but, um, and, and to me, it's kind of, it's, it's, I, I think it's similar, you know, like we've built a great business, um, you know, up to a certain point. And then my co-founder had some ideas that weren't exactly my ideas, but you know what? They were great and brilliant and created, um, you know, um, also immense value. And so and, um, as a shareholder, I'm super happy with that, right? I, uh, I'm going to put the link to that book. Um, people should download it and read it. I completely agree. As someone that ran an ag ad agency for 12 years uh, and handed the reins yeah, over to someone else, book, right? yeah. I can completely relate. Um, and, and totally uh, the insight there is very important, I think, for people that feel trapped in their businesses and or perhaps it's time to have fresh blood. Um, it's something to think about, so a, a good insight. But um, we, we, we're running out of time, so I, ju I just want to quickly understand, so you, 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 what, what made you decide to do Queen's Road Capital? Why was that the right next step for you? 
Well, it's interesting. Um, it, 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 it used to be that when you were kind of between two opportunities, someone said, oh, I'm an advisor, I'm a consultant. Now you say, well, I'm an investor, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, so I mean, to me, this was a step towards possibly something else. Um, and so I started investing in companies. I thought I could uh, provide my own you know, experience and mentorship, um, having built companies over the years. And so, and, and so to me, that felt pretty good. And it also seemed to give me the flexibility to spend time with my kids. Um, I didn't realize you had to travel a lot as an investor. <laughs> so I, I think I traveled more than running a travel company, actually, to be honest. Um, um, but, 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 but to me, you know, um, you, you, know, you, you know, sometimes being on the investment side opens up windows to new universes that are just pretty amazing. And, uh, and, 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 and the one thing I wanted to do was having spent so many years in mainland China, uh, I wanted to, you know, broaden my horizons a little bit, not just do things in China. Um, and, and keep in mind that, you know, my success and my early success was because I was completely focused on China. Um, but then once you achieve that, now you have the luxury to say, well, maybe I can broaden a little bit. And so I wanted to broaden. And so I started investing in some, some amazing companies in Germany and the UK and Spain, um, down in Indonesia and Korea. And it's just kind of like in kind of each one of those investments and, and, and some of those are amazingly successful. And, and, and to me, it's kind of great because now you've opened this universe of entrepreneurs and friendships and companies and people and personalities that are just completely different than, you know, what you were doing for, you know, so many years. And so it's so to me, I'm super grateful to have done that. And, and so I, I, I really wanted to broaden my horizons and, 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 and I've done it in a very systematic way. Notice the first business where you don't have a co-founder. Do you, do you miss having a co-founder or you're quite happy just to run things on your own? Oh, I'm very happy to run things on my own. Um, there are certain limitations when you don't have a co-founder because with a co-founder, you also have certain obligations. It forces you to, you know, be a little bit more committed, I think. Uh, then if you're, a, a, I, I think a sole founder, obviously we have our vision, which is amazing. But, you know, I, I think having like other stakeholders and like the ultimate stakeholder is to have a co-founder or two co-founders, you really, it, it forces you to be a little bit more, you know, like accountable to your ideas, you know, and uh, accountable to your commitment and, and some other things too. And so, you know, there's, you know, I think there's good things and bad things. I, I think where I am now in life, I'm very happy. I don't have any co-founders, um, but maybe for some other project in the future. Yeah. I, I think I, I, I certainly know that, you know, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's a form of scaling ourselves, right? I mean, co-founders allow us to scale like our skills and capabilities. And so, and, you know, we want to do meaningful things in this world and in order to do meaningful things, we need to scale. Completely agree. Well, um, I've got uh, about uh, five questions I wanted to ask you that I didn't get the chance to ask you. So please uh, come back on. I want to ask you about education. I want to talk about innovation. I want to talk about some of the investments you've made. I would like to talk about all of these things. So please come back. Um, I, 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 I'm, you have to say yes, by the way. Yeah, no problem. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan, so no oh, thank problem. Thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna sum up some of the uh, points I've taken from today for for my audience just to make sure um, they grasp some of the things I think that are really really useful. Um, I do I do like this um, name, by the way, Brave Shark. Your your original company, Brave Shark, right? That was the translation. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. You, 
you know, back in the late nineties, it was pretty easy to, to, you know, to, you know, uh, to compete sometimes. You just had to have a name that was different than right. what everyone else was doing. I like it. I like yeah. it even today. Brave shark. I mean, you think yeah. of a shark as brave anyway. So the concept you have to put it in front of it kind of, I like, I think, I think that really conjures up something, but I think I like the message being, and I think we should get t-shirts made up, you know, be a brave shark you know but a kind brave shark because again sharks have a misconception as well a bit like entrepreneurs right, right. why can't you right, be a kind right. brave shark and so um, anyone that's got kids has probably watched you know these uh, these funny cartoons where sharks are actually kind and so they, they do exist but um, but I, lo- I love this whole um, people don't understand your model it's a compliment I think the internet is not done travel is not done none of it's done so you know don't uh, don't believe what people tell you um, a new approach can disrupt present players. I just keep reminding people of that. I mean, it sounds so obvious when you when you say it, but so many people don't apply it when they're coming up with businesses or moving their own businesses forward. Just a new approach of an existing idea can be a disruption all of its own, right? So I think for me, when I look, at your, when I look at your career and then the business you invested in, that seems to be at the core of all of them, really. It's just a new approach to an existing business. It's not They're not reinvented the wheel necessarily. Um, and I love this point hire someone and make it real i think it's um such a small small thing maybe some people hiring people is of course a big deal and it is a big deal but equally it's because it's a big deal that's such a good thing to do um and be brave be a brave shark because you might hire someone that's wrong don't give up on them straight away maybe try to adjust things uh, if it doesn't work but ultimately if it doesn't work accept it and, and and move forward i think that's important um I, I think the life balance at the beginning of the podcast really also strikes a chord with me and I, I think it's a real tricky one for people to grasp. There is a lot of mantra out there from people like Gary Vee and others like work, work, work um, and somehow that's going to make you successful but I think what you said earlier about sometimes having a bit of time out can be good for you. You've got to bring in good management. You've got to bring in people that can, the systems to make sure that they can survive without you. It actually makes the business stronger and that's a wise existing entrepreneur investor talking there because so many people don't get that point and I've, I've even seen investors tell people you know, you're not going on holiday why are you going on holiday as if as if it's going to be a bad thing for the business that that person recharges their batteries you know like and absolutely um i think it's it's a part of the work-life balance and it's actually a struggle quite often mentally for the founder a bit like your point earlier about you know the working in the business and letting go i think that's also another trap that people create for themselves and you can get work-life balance by just controlling your own mind around what you think is going to happen if you're not there every day. And if it's really that bad, then then really you've got a problem with the business that's much bigger. Um, and, and so if you can't have a holiday, you've got a problem. I like this genuine value point you mentioned earlier on the podcast too. I think a lot of people forget to bring genuine value. And maybe it takes two years like you did in your business. Right. It takes a few years maybe to build genuine value. But again, I, it resonates with me. And you'll get a lot of people along the way saying, I don't see any value in this podcast. But you know, over time, building genuine value, I think it's, it's such a, a key element to it. And it takes time. And, and nice guys are not useless. I think we need to get <laughs> that T-shirt made up too. So thank you so much for sharing your insights. Look forward to having you back on the show sooner rather than later. And uh, we'll do a second part to this podcast, folks. And um, Fritz's businesses and um, all of his history I've talked about today will be below, along with Confessions of an Ad Man. You can uh, definitely download that. I'll include that link in the, in the podcast broadcast too. And Fritz, I just want to say thank you on behalf of my audience and myself for joining us today. Simon, my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. All right, all the best. Thank you for listening to the Good Luck Club podcast. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you've chosen us. We, of course, feel lucky. If you want to hear more, please go to thegoodluckpod.com 
or go to any of our social media pages and share with us your views, your insights and any way that we can improve what we're doing to make it a better experience for you. We wish you the best of luck.